Okay, so we're going to turn to the message. And last week I began a a two-part series on mental health. Last week I talked about the gentleness of God. And this week the title of my sermon is Prophetic Empathy, How God Helps Us So We Can Help Others. So let me just pray as we go into the word. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for truth. We thank you that it divides between soul and spirit, that we have something that we can look to that does not change, and it stabilizes us, and it builds us up, and it equips us. So Lord, let your spirit just speak through the words that I share now, in Jesus' name, amen. So in 1995, the idea of emotional intelligence, also known as emotional quotient, or EQ, Uh, burst onto the scene through a book written by a New York Times journalist and Harvard lecturer, Daniel Goleman. This book went on to become an international bestseller and was published in over 40 languages. And part of the thesis of his book was that leaders need to not only have a high IQ to lead well, they also need a high EQ to create relational equity and personal connection. Now, at that time, the idea of having emotional skill as a leader was radical and novel, but it was an idea that went viral. 25 years later, EQ is now part and parcel of the leadership conversation. We don't just talk about leaders needing to be smart. We talk about how they need to be emotionally smart as well. Now, part of the revelation of Goldman's work was defining how empathy plays into EQ. He taught that empathy was made up of three components or a triad. The first of these components is called cognitive empathy. It's the ability to understand another person's perspective. It's the idea of mentally comprehending what it is that they're going through. Second component is emotional empathy, which is the ability to feel what someone else feels resonating with them. And this is the idea of emotional comprehension. The third component is called empathic concern, which is the action or serving component of empathy that is moving to assist a person in a tangible way that is comforting to them. Well, in my sermon this morning, I want to place this model in a biblical context, and I want to use the prophet Elijah as a test case to see how this model works in a real-life mental health crisis. So let's start with the first component here that God shows cognitive empathy. Now, cognitive empathy is about understanding the facts behind the scene, why a, certain pers- why a person is in a particular predicament, what has contributed to their present situation. I was abused. I was molested. I was bullied. I was abandoned. My dad rejected me. My mom was an alcoholic. My sibling was the popular one. I tried three times and I failed. I have dyslexia. I'm a people pleaser. I grew up in poverty. My spouse cheated on me, or I'm in bankruptcy. All these things contribute to understanding what a person is going through. Cognitive learning is about listening to a person's sketch and not being quick to speak, but being quick to hear, as the Apostle James told us in 119. So we need to take in what people are saying. Let them finish their story. Don't interrupt. Let them get through it. 
understand the background and why they are in duress. So we see here as regards Elijah, this verse here from chapter 19 of 1 Kings. It says, Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. So Elijah had just defeated the prophets of Baal. Israel had been calling out to this false god to bless their harvest instead of God. And Elijah was livid. How dare they look to an idol and not Jehovah? Now God had given Elijah to shut up the heavens and to give a decree that there would be a drought. And that's what he did. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. But the Israelites looked to Baal instead of God to break the drought. So in his God-directed fury, Elijah called for a contest to show the nation who really controlled the weather. The prophets of Baal would compete against Elijah to see who could call down fire. Now read in 1 Kings 18 so that you get all the amazing details how the contest turned out, but suffice it to say that Elijah won by a landslide. He calls down fire from heaven, the sacrifice is consumed, and for the first time in years, the people fall on their faces and confess, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This was the moment that Elijah had been waiting for. Revival was at hand. Except it wasn't. Not only did it not happen, and not only was Elijah not recognized as a spiritual reformer, but the queen put out a death warrant on him. The queen hated Elijah because she was the one that recruited all the prophets of Baal. She was the one that introduced this false religion into the nation. All the 400 prophets that were defeated by Elijah and then consequently killed were, was because of Elijah's authority. And so when this all happened, she became very, very upset and she put out a death contract on him. So then we read, as we see here in verse 3, that Elijah was afraid and rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. And as Elijah was fleeing, God listened tenderly to Elijah's complaint. You can imagine how he was thinking he's reaching the apex of his spiritual career, but instead of going into this massive national celebration, instead it's gone the opposite direction. And this is why he is so down. This is why he's depressed. And this is why he is suicidal. And so he says to God in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. They seek my life to take it away. So Elijah's in a very lonely place. He feels like there's no one else that's running towards God. He's been the one that's been holding up the standard. And as he's pouring out his thoughts, God listened to all of this to get an accurate picture of what was going on in his heart. Now, of course, he knew what Elijah was going through, but he listened to Elijah's cry. He understood where Elijah was coming from and why Elijah was falling into the suicidal depression. He heard the prophet out fully and completely. And as a result, Elijah began to see a flicker of light. His heaviness began to lift. 
To me, it's amazing how just listening well has so much power. We don't even have to be as skilled as God. This is why bartenders and haircutters are in the counseling hall of fame. They just serve as listeners. They they're act as sounding boards. They're not trained. They're not experts. They don't have the fancy terms, but people love to go to them. In one sense, we could say that cognitive empathy, of course, a very fancy term coined by a PhD, cognitive empathy is the ministry of being a bartender or hairdresser. We plop ourselves in front of them so that they can be a listening ear to us. Sports Illustrated this week just put out a profile on Michael Phelps. He's the most decorated Olympic athlete in history, having won 23 gold medals and 28 altogether. He by far and away is the most celebrated Olympic athlete. But one of the things in this article that they brought out and why Mike, Michael Phelps went public with it was to talk about how he has not coped well with COVID. And he said this is the most overwhelmed he's felt in his life. You think this is quite a statement like the stress of winning gold medals, the stress of competing over the course of four Olympics, that wasn't the most stressful time of your life? No, the most stressful time for him has been this COVID season. And one of the ways that he copes is that when he's on the road, he has an on-call therapist. In other words, he pays to have a professional listener available to talk to whenever he needs it. In fact, he said that it's helped him so much, he wanted to provide that service to other people who were battling through their illnesses. And he purchased, get this, 500 months of free call-in therapy for medical workers fighting on the front line of COVID. That's 40 years of free therapy. What a tremendous gift. That's just awesome. Resourcing people with professional listeners. Listening has been called the secret weapon of emotional intelligence, and it's easy to see why. As God listens to us in our prayer times, so we must go and do likewise with those needing support. We have to be great listeners. So from cognitive empathy, we move from that mental comprehension to emotional comprehension. So our second point here, We read from chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough, Lord, now take my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Now this is where Elijah gets to the guts of the matter, the emotional part. I want to die. Please let me die, God. I tried to make our forefathers proud. I tried to, to be like those heroes that I heard about when I was a young boy and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I heard the stories about Moses and, and how he was led by you to do these great things for the nation. And you put a call on my life and I wanted to be just like them. I tried to do our forefathers well. Tried to be heroic. But I failed. Take me home. God, take me home. Elijah literally prayed that God would let him die. Now, when people want to die, that's as serious as it gets. 
This is a mental health crisis of the highest order. Of late, there have been a lot of high-profile suicides in the news. Robin Williams, the genius comedian, Anthony Bourdain, the food critic that, made, um, that was so popular on CNN, Kate Spade, for those of you ladies that have enjoyed those beautiful purses, Kate Spade was the mind behind it. Alexander McQueen, the great designer out of England. These are heartbreaking stories, not to mention the many others that have taken their lives. Mental illness is very much a real thing. As I said last week, Jesus prophesied that mental issues would be one of the key signs of the end times. It's brutal out there. And so here we find Elijah, the great prophet, at the lowest point in his ministry. One of the amazing things in this scene that can slip by without us noticing is how God employs non-judgmental listening. And that's a key point for us to understand when we're walking with someone through their mental struggles. We must provide non-judgmental listening. Remember, feelings are feelings. They are not sin actions. But getting them out on the table is not easy. Sharing our mental illnesses can be as difficult as confessing our sins. The shame that comes with our mental battle somehow feels like it's equivalent to a sin. And it's hard for us to come out of the shadows. You know, in the last five years, maybe because I've been getting older, I've noticed there are times that I don't seem to weather stress as well. Things don't seem to slide off quickly. I have some panic attacks and even moments of paranoia. It's like flies swirling around my head. And it's just like, get out of my way. And I've never felt these things before. But talking to other people who have gone through these things have been a big help. I'm not weird. So we must be a refuge for each other, and that comes in part through non-judgmental listening. Now, if there's anyone that could serve as a judge, it's God. And yet, he did not do this with Elijah. He didn't get down on the prophet for not being brave enough or strong enough or spiritual enough or not having enough faith. He didn't say, Elijah, why are you in this state of fear when you just called down fire? How is it that you were able to face off with 400 prophets just like a bold as a lion and now you are whimpering? And you're so depressed that you're sleeping which, of course, is one of the signs of deep depression. But God didn't say that to him. He didn't berate Elijah for not being a good example or a good spiritual leader. Instead, he gave Elijah a safe space to just pour out his feelings and, and splay all his marbles on the ground. Let them all tumble out of his bag. It didn't need to make sense or be rational. Elijah just needed someone to listen to his unfiltered feelings. And as Elijah talked, God felt what Elijah felt. When someone shows emotional empathy, it's powerful because we feel known. And when we feel known, we feel comforted. J.I. Packard, the wonderful theologian, wrote in his most famous book, Knowing God, what matters supremely is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God. Now here's, here's an author who's writing a book about knowing God, and he is saying this. The most important thing is not that you know God, 
but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. One Puritan author called being known by God the full and final comfort of a believer. Now, why does God have emotional empathy? Why is he able to feel what he, we feel? If he's you know, up there in the sky, this omnipotent, authoritative figure, how does he have emotional empathy? Well, because like Elijah, he too went through mental torture. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's facing the prospect of the cross, Scripture says in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, that he sweats blood while he is praying. And being in an agony, he prayed earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is such a powerful picture of the mental pain Jesus experienced for you and for me. Every drop of blood that fell from his head is a picture of how he understands our mental illnesses. If we could have seen just for a moment what Jesus had to endure, I think we would all be in a psych ward instantly. Our minds would snap in half. It'd be too horrifying, too black, too empty, too hopeless, too demonic, too heavy, too disconnected to see. You know, the scripture talks about the horror of being separated from God, of not going to heaven and going into Hades and going into hell. And as Jesus is peering into this bottomless existence and thinking about what it's going to be for him to go to the cross, he just recoiled. His soul was shuddering to the point that blood was coming off of his face. Now the scripture says that God doesn't waste a tear that we shed. If that's true, all the more not a nano drop or a 16th or 32nd of drop of blood that Jesus shed will be wasted. Every drop was designed by God to heal our minds. He died so we could know mental freedom and wholeness. From a medical standpoint, the extrusion of blood from one's pores has only been recorded a few times in the medical literature. But when it's happened, here is how doctors have written it up. This is what they've observed. Acute fear and intense mental contemplation are the most frequent causes of hematohydrosis. That's the medical term. Examples of this were observed when a man was condemned to execution. It was observed in a case during the nighttime bombing raids against London by Nazi Germany in World War II. It was observed in a woman involving her fear of being raped. And it was seen in a person who was afraid of a storm while he was sailing. In such cases, hysterical mechanisms and psychosomatic disorders are believed to induce bleeding. This paints such a vivid picture of what the Lord was going through. We're talking about mental shock of the highest order. So when we come to God with our mental pain, our discouragements, our failures, our hopelessness, our fears, our guilt, He does not turn away. He feels what we feel. 
And this is why Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In Hebrews 4.15 and 16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. I think about some of these megastars that are on TV, like Ellen, broadcasting from her home, her palace, and oh, this is so hard. I feel so shut in. And she got so much hate for that. It's like, excuse me, Ellen, you're not living a normal life. She was living in this rarefied, airified environment, and she could not empathize with the normal person. God could be up there in heaven. He's like, oh, I, I don't really get what it is you're going through. But that's the opposite. He went through the mental torture, went through the mental pain, and he is able to empathize with our weaknesses. Hence, in verse 16, Scripture says, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, in this scene, God also teaches us another important lesson. When people are sharing their struggles, please catch their pearls and don't be a swine. Jesus told us to not throw our pearls before swine lest they get trampled underfoot. We don't want to be that swine that tramples a vulnerable moment of sharing on the ground by our inattention, by a laugh, by a dismissive attitude, by gaslighting, by minimizing, by judgment. God never lets a pearl fall to the ground. He caught every one of Elijah's marbles. Emotional listening is processing with someone without advice. Let them talk it out. Leave the nail in. Do you, do you know that, that amazing video where this couple is talking and this, this, the woman is pouring out her feelings to her boyfriend, or maybe it's a spouse, but the camera work is just amazing. So it's pinned on the woman's face she says, it's so hard. I, I can't take it. The pain is relentless. And as the camera pans back, you see a literal nail in her forehead. And the guy says, you know, if we just take the nail out, it will be all okay. She goes, don't try to fix me. I'll give you the YouTube site. You're not here to participate with me in this. Leave the nail in. How many times have people solved their own problems just by talking it out? You don't need to say a thing. You've helped them with their self-healing and self-therapy just by lending a listening ear. I can put my marbles back in the bag now. Thank you for listening to me. Then the last part of this triad is empathic concern. Moving to assist a person in a tangible way that is comforting to them. The action of serving and helping. And this is where God demonstrates prophetic care. And in this last part of chapter 19, we see how God cares for Elijah in stages. And there's three stages I want to highlight for us. Stage number one is that he ministers to Elijah at the most basic level. This guy needs food and water. He's dehydrated. He's malnourished. And twice he sends an angel to meet his most basic need. 
So we read in verses 5 through 7, Elijah laid down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. The angel said to Elijah, Arise, eat. Then Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. So that tells you how depressed and how weary Elijah was. He wasn't even moved by the fact this, that this angel came to wake him up. He wasn't even moved by the fact that out of nowhere groceries appeared. He was so tired and so distraught, he ate the food and just went back to bed again. I don't think he even said grace. I don't think he even said thank you, Jesus, for this food. He just fell asleep again. When we're in our mental illnesses, in our states like that, we can hardly function. And this is what we see here. But the angel came a second time, says in verse 7, and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. Now think about this. God sent angelic help to provide the simplest of provisions. Why do you send just a, a servant to bring some bagels and cream cheese? Why such a miracle? Because it shows the high premium that God places on our essentials. It's a supernatural priority for him. As God heals, he starts by building up our basics, our core, developing a prayer life, getting grounded in the word, getting connected to community, developing a daily quiet time, putting off and removing those things that take away from our spiritual strength. Too much screen time, too much internet, too much frivolity. Shake it off. Part of the COVID season is for us to get leaner. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These are foundational disciplines that God needs to put in place for his future therapy. Stage two that we see here in this passage is that these foundations prepared Elijah for the long journey. Verse 8 says that Elijah rose, ate, drank, and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Healing is a process, and in many cases, a long process. We have to go 40 days and 40 nights to reach our destination. But if Elijah had not been equipped, eaten, or relied on those basic provisions, he would not have made it. That's why the angel woke him up again, said, you need a second portion, eat this again. So our basic spiritual skills are needed to sustain us for the long haul. Many times we want the silver bullet to just heal us, but God is building into us those foundational skills that we need so that we can be healed permanently for the long time. So in the second phase of prophetic care, we see that God manages our expectations for the journey. And this is so that we can be spared from the frustration of seeming delay, and it settles our heart for the process involved in getting well. Stage three, this is when God brings Elijah to the mountain and he renews the prophet's mind. And this was the turning point for Elijah's mental illness. 
Remember what I said last week. Mental illness is part of our mind being broken. And there's no shame in this. Just as there's no shame in a broken arm or a broken foot. Because part of our brain is a physical organ, there are medications that can fix it. Lithium, Zoloft, Xanax, Prozac. Do we feel shame about taking medication for our high blood pressure or elevated cholesterol? No. And neither should we feel ashamed if our brain is malfunctioning or out of balance and it can be fixed by medication. But if God can heal our neural pathways and memories and changing moods and anxieties or phobias or psychoses or depression or boost our threshold of stress so that we don't need to use medication, that's all the better. That's God's healing power. No one knows how better to heal the mind than God. So in verse 12, we read, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So after 40 days of going to this mountain, Horeb, Elijah goes to the top. There's an earthquake, there's a fire, there's a wind. And this is where we're picking up the story. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of gentle blowing. Remember my message last week, the gentleness of God. Here it was, coming to touch Elijah. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and behold, a voice came to him, which was God's voice. When God encountered Elijah with his gentle voice on the mountain, something miraculous happened to Elijah's thoughts. God replaced Elijah's toxic thoughts with his life-giving thoughts. And Elijah's mind was transformed. He got a new mind. And that's what God is after, is to give us a new mind. That's why we preach about reading the truth and being in the truth on a daily basis so that we can displace all the junk. We can displace all the stuff that's in our minds that's taking us down, that's harming us, that's toxic to our system. And so when God spoke the word to Elijah, there was a transformation that had because God's thoughts were now governing his emotions. Elijah thought that his usefulness was done. He had done what God called him to do, but he failed. So there's no more purpose for him. So the light went out. But God showed him how wrong he was. And just as God used Elijah to impact governments, he would use Elijah again to impact the nation of Aram and Israel at the royal level. In fact, he would be the one to set in new kings over both of those nations. And we read this here in verse 15 and 16. The Lord said to Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphath, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So let's pan back and, and realize what's going on here. In Elijah's prior ministry before Mount Carmel, he never set in any kings. And now he's going to set in two kings. I mean, think about this. It'd be like if God came to me and said, Rich, you're going to set in the new prime minister of Canada, and you're going to set in the new president of the United States. That's like crazy responsibility. But that's what God said. Elijah and this was a double blessing that he never had before 
He thought that his signs and wonders ministry had come to an end, but God said, set in Elisha as your successor. And what was Elisha known for? He received a double portion of the signs and wonders ministry that Elijah had. So in Elijah's post-depression chapter, his life was literally doubly blessed, doubly powerful, doubly fruitful, and doubly anointed. I think God's restoration is pretty wonderful. It begins with empathy, and it ends with healing. It's a powerful prophetic process because it's filled and saturated with the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. It has the breath of heaven on it all the way. And this leads us to the final point, stage four. How God helps us so that we can help others. And let me boil it down to this. God wants us to listen sympathetically and move prophetically. Now, we're not professionals, right? We have people that have studied for years and they can prescribe medicines. But we're called to be God's prophetic company. As it regards mental illness, we are called to be God's empathy workers, listening carefully with our minds and hearts so we can grasp what others are going through. And this puts us in their shoes. When you're listening at these two levels, it helps us to be placed in their shoes. And it brings comfort because it makes them know that we are with them. The, this, this phrase of with them, I am with you, is so important to God. When God saw Adam in the garden and he was alone, he said, it's not good that you're alone. I want someone to be with you. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, he said, obviously, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I am with you always. We're going to be sent celebrating Pentecost next Sunday. What was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Jesus himself said, so that I can send my spirit to you and he will be with you always. Empathic listening, prophetic empathy is about making people realize, you know what, there is support. Someone is with me in it. You become the stand-in for God. You become the expression of the Holy Spirit. You become the channel of God's comfort to that person. Proverbs 18.24 says, A friend sticks closer than a brother. And what did Jesus say to us? I'm your friend and you're my friend. And then this idea of moving prophetically is that we can be God's messengers. God has specifically baptized us with the Holy Spirit so that we can encourage people through prophecies and words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discernment, pictures, dreams, prolonged intercession, and good deeds. We teach everyone that goes through E3 how to minister prophetically, how to hear from God, so that we're available to the Holy Spirit to minister to those that are around us in this very powerful way. Now, for all the, the training that our wonderful psychiatrists and doctors have we have this little edge that god gives us and that we have the counsel of god we have the spirit of god we can access that i've had a few experiences where the prophetic word of god dramatically lifted the heaviness off people whether it's in counseling sessions 
As you know, I've been able to speak in conferences in years past. Remember one time I was in China, and there was this leadership group from the northeastern part of the country that came to our conference specifically two days by train just to receive prayer from our prophetic team. And God was so gracious to meet their faith. And as the words flowed over them, they just began crying, and they began jumping, and they began dancing. And we had no idea why this was so significant to them. Of course, there was a lot of hugs, and there was a lot of you know, just comfort and healing that was happening. The next morning when we got up for breakfast, these guys came in, and they said, we have been up all night. We could not contain the joy of the Lord because what have God said? Some of them said we were ready to quit the ministry. This was too hard on us and our families, but God gave us a new lease on life. The Lord showed us what he has for us in the coming days. They were crushed before, but now they were revived. (coughs) When we come to God, when we come to the spirit of the Lord, he can speak those things that will turn us around. You want to just have a moment where we can sit before the Holy Spirit, ask him to come and be with us, or just sit with me for a few moments as we sit with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. You know the things that each person is going through? how they need a touch from you. There are some who are in a valley of darkness and they feel there's no way out for them. They feel like they're in a bowl and they can't climb out. They feel hemmed in and there is no hope. But God, you drop the ladder in. You give us the ability to climb and to emerge, and to even be victorious. I just sense that there are some that have been overwhelmed by the lies of the enemy, that you've allowed the enemy to come in, and it's like a gerbil that's on a, on a wheel and just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning inside your head. But those are the lies of the enemy. And Spirit of God, would you come right now Lord, to displace and to expel in Jesus' name all the lies that would try to captivate your people. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 said that God sent Jesus to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are downtrodden. And by the authority of God's word, I speak freedom to you right now. I proclaim release to you. Rich gal can do nothing, but the Holy Spirit can do everything. And I speak release and freedom to you right now in Jesus' name. Some of you might be feeling even a pressure on your head or your mind or someplace in your body right now. And there's a part of you that almost wants to hold on to it. But don't. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. proclaim recovery. I proclaim freedom in Jesus' name. The kingdom is here. 
The kingdom of heaven is now. I thank you, God, that you give us supernatural strength. I just see that some of you are going to have biceps that are like Popeye. They're going to be so strong. And you're going to be used to rescue some people and you're going to be used to break down some doors to bring deliverance to others. God is raising up some Popeyes to bring deliverance. So Father, this morning, we thank you for how you rescued Elijah. We thank you for how you listened so closely to him. You entered into his world. You entered into his emotions. You sat there with him, Father God, in his valley. And out of it, Father God, you restored a mighty prophet. A prophet that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. A prophet that was ready to just take his own life. And Lord, you have given us the story as an encouragement that we too might be rescued and we too might be touched. And that with that blessing, we would likewise go and be a blessing to others. So Holy Spirit, empower us afresh. And we thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless. We're grateful that you can be with us uh, for this Sunday service. And we will see you next Sunday. Blessings.